The Philosophy of American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Hey, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and in this podcast, we're going to be delving into uh, literature a bit. You can see as we're moving into the year 2022, which I sure hope will be a cooler year than 2021, it's at least a more, shall we say, uh, mathematically more symmetrical, symmetrical, more even kind of year. So I am looking forward to it. As we're getting into 2022, I'm going to do a few more of these uh, literature podcasts where I am discussing books. I'm going to be joined by my lovely wife. Hey, babe. Hello, everyone. She is feeling a little bit under the weather today. And at the moment, she looks a lot better than I do. But unfortunately, you all who may be watching me are just going to have to look at my face. You don't get, I'm the only one that gets to enjoy looking at her. The rest of you will just have to, uh, well, you'll just have to enjoy the, the auditory experience because the visual experience leaves a lot lacking. If we're being honest, I'm kind of in need of a haircut. That is coming soon. So we should first mention that we're going to be doing some spoiling of this book. We are going to have some spoilers in here. So if you do not like that, you probably should finish the book and then come back and listen to this. But with these book reviews, I imagine that there might be like some high schoolers out there who listen to our book reviews because they want to avoid reading the book and they just want the, uh, the philosophical, insightful takeaways from a person like us that they can include in their uh, book reviews or whatever so that they can go back to class and tell their teachers that they read the book when they were, in fact, just playing StarCraft or whatever it is that high schoolers do these days. And this is, again, going to be about the book. It is not going to be about the TV show. So if you're a person looking for our hot takes on the TV show, well, you're going to get that too as a value added from me. I think the TV show sucks. I'm not a fan. So I, do I. My wife doesn't like it either. I gave it an episode. I watched an episode of it. And I think they bastardize this, the pretty cool premise that the book had. They made it really gratuitous. You know, nowadays... Things need to, apparently, when it comes to the world of television, none of these writers, directors, animators, actors, none of these people actually want to create good art. They None of them actually want to create something stunning and captivating and original. So what they do is they just make things really gratuitous. And then they are... Um, hard to look away from. People get a cortisol spike from watching a TV show or a movie that's really gratuitous, that's got like uh, a bunch of gore and grossness and body parts in it. And then they get that cortisol spike and then they want to come back the next week or whatnot for that cortisol spike. It's 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 happened to all of us. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a cheap lazy way of making television. And that's what this TV show was all about. And then I think with the TV show, they were also trying to kind of jump on the whole uh, superhero Marvel comics bandwagon of entertainment style. And I, I don't like those kind of TV shows uh, or those kind of movies either. So the TV show just really did not do it for us. Isn't that right? Yes, we watched the first episode together and we were utterly disappointed. Yeah, so this is about the book. I recommend the book 
higher than the show, which I do not recommend at all. So, babe, you have read the book twice now. Why don't you give us a synopsis of the premise of the book? Well, I truly enjoyed American Gods both times I read it. So it's about a man named Shadow who... And that is his real name, right? Yeah. It never turns out that he has like a fake name. That's his real name. Yes, this is his real name. So he loses his wife and then he meets a weird guy named Wednesday who hires him. And then he just embarks on a journey and meets a lot of mythological creatures and deities. That's right. And a lot of those deities turn out to be different gods from different cultures around the world. Not just gods, also mythological heroes like Paul Albanian. Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. <laughs> my okay. wife my wife is Bulgarian, so she doesn't quite know. She has just learned the proper pronunciation of Paul Bunyan. Yes, Paul Bunyan. Okay, Paul Bunyan. And Mad Sweeney, who is an Irish hero. An Irish hero? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. He's not a deity. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mythological character. Was there leprechauns? Maybe briefly. Yeah. Or what was there? There was whiskeys. Whiskeys. Whiskey I Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whiskey, whiskey Jack. Or what was the character that they would... Or at first I was confused. I thought they were, ca they were a type of spiritual cat. Type of spiritual cat? Yes. Have you heard about the spiritual cats of England? Oh, yes, yes, yes. There was. There was a spiritual cat. A mythological-like... From a legend. Yeah. No? Yeah. But I've also heard of that. I, I, I once listened to a very serious conspiracy podcast about the phenomena of these, uh, of these like spiritual kitty cats that live in, uh, in England. Or there may be, or perhaps they're not spiritual. Perhaps they are, uh, in fact, cryptids. You know what cryptids are? Cryptids? Cryptids. Yeah. Have you ever heard of cryptids? No. Okay. What is don't worry, it doesn't have anything to do with cryptocurrency. <laughs> it sounds like it does, right? But cryptids are like uh, creepy, creepy creatures. Like creepy mythological creatures. Like yeah. like giant spiders or uh, monsters that live in the woods and, and, and chase kids if, if the kids aren't doing their homework on time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Was there some cryptids? In the book? Mm, I believe, I believe there were. Okay. Even though you read the book and you closed the last page the other day. That's, you know yourself. that's right. That's right. You're, you're correct about that. So it has this, it has kind of an interesting premise, I think. America is the e pluribus unum country, which means the idea behind that is that it's a it's one country, one nation out of many, or at least that's the popular interpretation of it. And America certainly has a veneer of being a Christian country, but of course, there's more than meets the eye. There is something below that veneer. And so the idea of the book is that deities and gods, particularly pagan gods from older, darker, more mysterious cultures, that these deities exist and are sustained by faith, by belief. And so the idea of the book is that these deities were brought to the country within the minds, within the heads 
of the pioneers and immigrants and even slaves that came to America. But with time, the faith and the belief that people have in these deities, it has dwindled. And with that, the fortunes of these pagan gods and deities has dwindled as well. And so we find ourselves in modernity with this character Shadow, and the deities at this point are almost totally impoverished. They're in quite the state of embarrassment, not doing well in America. They are relished to the fringes. They are doing uh, dirty jobs, like uh, I think some of them are taxi drivers. So that's where we find ourselves. I think it's actually a pretty solid premise, but I ultimately think that the author kind of screwed up the execution of the book on a couple of levels. But first of all, before I get into some of my criticisms, I thought that we would try to address some of the philosophy of the book because I have got you with me. So we have got, actually there's some questions that are posed for discussion in the back of the book. And so I thought that me and you could go through some of those. For, okay. So American Gods is an epic novel dealing with many themes including sacrifice, loyalty, betrayal, love, and faith. Which theme affected you most strongly and why? I think for me, it was kind of decline. The, it was, it was a, the, a major theme was decline for me, was that these, these gods are in decline um, they're impoverished, they're not doing well, and so they are, um, they've lost all their principles. Uh, none of the pagan deities are, like, principled, kind of, like, they're, uh, they're very human. They're, uh, they're selfish, they cheat, they lie, they're, um, they're, uh, selfish hedonists. That's true. So, I would say, yeah, I would say decline was the theme. What about you? What do you think? Well, I agree that decline can be the, t the theme, but also maybe it's the sacrifice. Okay, sacrifice? Sacrifice, yes. And also the loyalty that the main character has to, towards Wednesday. Okay. So the next question is, Shadow begins the novel as a convict and ends it a different man. How does the novel exploit the idea of America as a place where immigrants and exiles, both physical and emotional, can reinvent themselves? What makes Shadow so compelling and complex. Nothing. Nothing. I agree. I agree. Isn't it nice when you agree with your partner on everything, or at least on the important things? Yeah, the protagonist of this book is a, a, a very simple protagonist. The protagonist I didn't, I found neither complex nor compelling. He is basically just kind of a, a stoic, tough guy kind of protagonist. He is not multi-dimensional. Um, I don't see him reinventing himself. He, yeah, he seems like a dude that just got out of prison. And the, the whole story, he basically kind of seems like a guy that just got out of prison. And my, one of the things that I noticed about him 
one that I actually kind of disliked about the book, one of the reasons why the book doesn't get five stars in my in my rating, is that he uh, seems stupid. Um, there's multiple junctures at which he makes really stupid decisions to risk his life without a without a conceivable good reason or without a good principled reason for risking his life in stupid ways. So yeah, the main character I found pretty weak. Um, how does the novel exploit the idea of America as a place where immigrants and exiles can reinvent themselves? Yeah, I, that's generally, that's a way that people regard America, is that it's generally a place with a lot of opportunity. Even America in its current state of decline is a place that has quite a bit of um, opportunity. And on a philosophical note, okay, reinventing themselves. This is kind of something interesting. Uh, part of the American character is a... Uh, an instinct towards uh, forgiveness and an instinct towards uh, waiting for giving people the opportunity um, to to reinvent themselves. Um, I th one of the things, and I think this comes out of uh, the Christian roots of of many Americans. Many Americans, they may not. They may, not, they may not identify as Christians, but culturally, they have a big belief in forgiveness. They have a big belief um, that something, that the people that have fallen down, that have done badly in life, that those people can transform and make something better of themselves. And I don't, I don't know if that's portrayed in the novel strongly. Um, and I don't know... I don't know if Shadow reinvents himself. Again, Shadow just seems like a a guy, who, a, a simple guy, a simple man who has gotten out of prison. And that's how he seems pretty much the whole story. Okay. Well, I don't particularly like Shadow for one more reason. And it is how he was portrayed to almost be unaffected by his wife's cheating. Oh, yeah, okay, this was another thing that bothered me a bit. And another thing where I see the characters being shallow and poorly written was there's one thing that we know about Shadow early on in the book and then it gets reinforced over and over and over again in the book, which is that he really loves his wife. He's He, re he really likes his wife. As he's getting out of prison, he just... He just can't wait to reconnect with his wife. And then as he's going through all these adventures throughout America, well, he just, you know, can't wait to reconnect with his wife, with his dead wife. Um, but yeah, his wife, we find out early on in the book that his wife has died and he has almost no emotional reaction to his wife dying. And then we find out that his wife um, has cheated on him in a really uh, callous, um, heartless kind of way. And he doesn't really seem to stand up for himself at a man. At that point, he seems to forgive her so quickly. And this, yeah, this just doesn't seem to line up with this guy that seems really committed to his wife. It seems like these two, it seems like this double hit um, to him should really, uh, should really mess with him emotionally. Um, and yeah, we don't see that in the book. So yeah, I think it's just a poorly written character there. Okay. Question number three, American Gods is partly a road trip through small town America where shadow can see the darker side of life that other people ignore. What does the novel say about what people will accept in order to maintain a sense of normality. I'm not sure. What does the novel say about what people will accept in order to maintain a sense of normality? A sense of normality? Yeah. I tend to think that I tend to think that 
that I'm rather kind of pessimistic on this on this point. I think that people will sacrifice almost almost anything to maintain some sense of normality. I I, I think that people are uh, in general are terribly easy to brainwash um, if they are offered a modicum of normality and comfort. I'm not sure if the book really addresses that though. Okay, question four. The old gods expect sacrifice, violence, and worship. How have they adapted to the modern world? What does this say about the nature of divinity? How and why have Americans transferred their devotion to the new technological and material gods from the old spiritual gods. What comment is being made about modern cultural values? Modern cultural values are obviously um, media, technology, uh, credit cards. Yeah. They have replaced the old uh, deities. Yeah. The book presents a ecosystem of deities competing in America. So we have the new gods, which are the things that Americans are obsessed with, that uh, capture our attention. And these new gods are uh, pretty effectively, it would seem, um, pushing these pagan gods out to the margins. And so that's, I would say, that's kind of what we see in America, is that we see that the consumeristic um, instincts, we can see that the uh, hyper-capitalism, the hyper-consumerism of the country is largely sidelining me sidelining meaningful spirituality that uh spirituality spirituality should exist to give people uh, meaning uh fellowship morality and some direction in life and we can see that the consumerism, the desire for more things, and the desire to be entertained by um, cheap thrills um, in every waking moment, this is uh, pushing meaningful spirituality um, to the sidelines, sadly, unfortunately, to our detriment, certainly. Okay, next question. What is the significance of the illusions, cons, and magic tricks that occur throughout the novel? American Gods is a novel in which magic, myth, and the divine coexist with normal, mundane, and human in a way that is utterly believable. How is this illusion maintained? So the dichotomy between the spiritual realm and the mundane physical realm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to agree. I'm going to respond <laughs> similarly. Yes. Okay. Moving on to the next question. How does the rich background description increase the power of the narrative? What do the secondary characters, particularly the gods whose lives and deaths we are given a brief insight into, add to the novel? So was this something you liked about the book? Was the descriptions of the places in America that they go? Oh, yes. I love that the book goes all over America. You feel like you visited America. Well, not exactly, but let's say this is one way to say it. And also we meet so many deities. Right. And ancient gods. Right. We meet an African god, you know, the trickster, mm -hmm. spider god, mm -hmm. Mr. Anansi. We meet the Slavic god, Chernobok. We meet Kali. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some Indian, there's some Indian gods. 
that yeah. are in there. Yeah, we also meet several Egyptian gods. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were several Egyptian gods. Mm-hmm. Okay. I absolutely love all those characters. Like, Neil Gaiman has totally done his research on them. I might add, in the book, Neil Gaiman does a good job of characterize. He does a pretty good job of characterizing America as a foreigner, which is something that is infamously hard to do. Like, if I tried to write a novel characterizing Colombia, I would do a pr not a very good job of it, even though I lived in Colombia for like two and a half years. But I think in this book, yeah, he did he did a pretty good job of describing um, some of the subtleties of American of American life and landscape. He talks about the uh, the population numbers that show up on on the uh, on the city limit signs in America, which is yeah, that's kind of one of those things that you have to you have to go on a uh, road trips of America to uh, note that, and it kind of gives you kind of a an interesting piece of information when you're like, oh, okay, this is what a town with a population of one thousand looks like. This is what a town with a population of two hundred and fifty people looks like. Um, so yes, we are given. Descriptions of all those places, small towns as well as big cities. Yep, yep. I want to visit the the rock city, the rock city that he describes, where we have the showdown towards the end yes. of the book. The Catskills. Was that in the Catskills? Yeah, that might have been in mm -hmm. the Catskills, and. I will include in the show notes, if you're going to read this book, I'll include the link to the document that you sent me where we have all, we have a, uh, a document explaining who all the deities are. Because in the book, you meet different characters. Like you meet a character named Loki. And this character is represented of the uh, Norse deity, Loki. But you, yeah, you have all these different characters that are sometimes kind of camouflaged as just uh, Americans, as just normal people. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're actually... Like Whiskey Jack. Whiskey Jack. Yeah, they're actually characters from, uh, yeah, deep spiritual antiquity. And the version of the book that you read was the Bulgarian version. And they did something really cool, which is that they included footnotes for every one of the characters. So you could just jump to the footnote and then you could see, oh, this is, you know, something from Indian mythology, yeah. for example. And the book, I, the version I read, which was the author's preferred edition, mm -hmm. that didn't include that. So I'll include that over on the book review page for this on LimitlessMindset.com. So you may want to take a gander at that and reference that as you're reading the book. It may be something that helps you to kind of get a little bit more out of the book. If you're a person that's fascinated with, um, with old cultures and their religions. With mythology, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And fantasy. This book is not something that people who hate fantasy would enjoy. That's right. I am not the biggest fan of fantasy. I, I avoid fantasy mostly when it comes to my novels. And this book, yeah, I wasn't crazy about it. Mm, I, I read it mostly so that me and you could have mm -hmm. something to, to talk about. Yeah, just, <laughs> just like... I read Memoir from Unproof Case, which happens to be your favorite book. It's one of my favorite books. One of my favorite books. People should check out the review a little bit earlier in this podcast feed of Memoir from Unproof Case. Yeah, but John, there was something that you thoroughly enjoyed about American Gods, and those were the vignettes. That's right. It has these 
little vignettes from the past where we get a short story about someone coming to America. It could have been an African slave or a, um, a, a, a Welsh prisoner mm-hmm. and, or Viking conquerors coming to America. And yeah, those vignettes, those were very cool. In fact, if the whole book was those vignettes, I think I would have enjoyed it a little bit more than uh, tagging along with the adventures of Shadow the Tough Guy in Middle America. Oh, the mystery, the, you know, oh, the modern yes. mystery in the book was kind of compelling. Yeah, I think even that could have done a little bit better. They could have played the things happening in that small town in the uh, Northwest where he finds himself. You, you, that could have even been played up a little bit more into more of like books about like small town mysteries. And I have one that I'm trying to convince you to read. I think you'll really enjoy it when you do read it. Uh, the Oath by Frank Peretti. This book has a, a haunting um, unfolding of a small town mystery. I think you'll really, really enjoy that. Um, Someday, I, th- I, will. I, I think that could have been played up a little bit more here but it had um it was a plot twist right sure oh yeah that was a good plot twist yes when he finally crashes down through the ice into the frozen lake that's a very big spoiler we're not gonna spoil it we're not gonna spoil it but that that i didn't quite see coming so one of the things that i wondered about the book as I was reading it, which I think a lot of people will probably wonder about, is why is the Christian God or Jesus absent from the um, from the spectrum of deities that we encounter in it? It's totally absent. And as I was reading, I had kind of two hypotheses on these. And I think they're actually both incorrect. So my first kind of hypothesis is that they left the Christian God out of it because it's a, this is mainstream, mainstream entertainment. It was published by a mainstream publisher and then they turned it into a, it into a mainstream uh, television show. And I think the network, uh, I think it's called Stars, which is, I think that was with the network that put it out, which is uh, one of these networks that famously puts out really crappy, stupid, <laughs> mindless TV shows. And so my take on this was that they probably left Jesus and Christianity out of it because the mainstream entertainment industry is always kind of trying to subvert the uh, Christian part of our culture. They are all about the uh, Marxist cultural revolution. And so I actually tweeted the author about this. I sent him a tweet and I said, did you leave Jesus and Christianity out of the book because you wanted to kind of appease the liberal anti-Christian mainstream publishers? Or did you leave it out of the book because the author really did his research and he learned that America from its inception was intended not to be a Christian country, but to be in fact a neo pagan, occultic, and you could maybe even say Luciferian country. And this is kind of a rabbit hole that I'd suggest that people explore a little bit with a documentary that I watched when we took a recent vacation to the Bulgarian Black Sea seaside. Here, it was a two and a half hour documentary that was called the belly of the beast and it's a documentary that is actually examining all of the architecture in the capital 
Washington, D.C. And the conclusion that they arrive at examining all of this iconic architecture there in Washington, D.C. And then, of course, looking at a bunch of different statements by the founding fathers of the United States and going uh, real deep into history is that the United States was on, on on its on its surface it had this veneer of being a Christian country and it was indeed populated for most of its history by probably 95 98 percent probably pretty close to a hundred percent by uh, Christians by a lot of Protestants and then by a lot of Catholics after them and then after that a whole lot of other types of people came to the country. But, in fact, from its very inception, the elites, the people at the very, very top of the country, were not Christians. Um, they were not, and they were not any other mainstream religion. They, in fact, belonged to occultic religions. A lot of them were Masons. And some people make the case, I'm not entirely convinced of this, that the rulers of the country have been Satanists, um, almost all the way back to its very beginning. And so if you look at America in that way, it kind of explains why America habitually does such a crappy job of being a Christian country, of living up to its ideals. That's because it's not really intended by the people in charge to be a Christian country. And I was wondering if this is something the author had figured out and if that's why Jesus doesn't show up in the book. But that was not, in fact, the case. As I would learn, because Neil Gaiman responded to my tweet and he said, it's because he's doing just fine in America and wouldn't be hanging out with the gods in the fringes. So he's referring to, uh, I guess, to Jesus, to the uh, Christian God there. And then I discovered upon completing the book that there was actually a scene that was written but didn't make the final cut in the book of shadow meeting Jesus and that he did want to have shadow meeting Jesus um, that 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 made some sense in fact Neil Gaiman says I couldn't write about America without mentioning Jesus after all he's part of the warp and weft of the country but he couldn't quite find the right place to fit it in and I, I think I, I think I believe him in that. I don't think that Neil Gaiman is uh, some terrible, subversive uh, liberal that's trying to erase Christianity out of uh, the out of the history and culture of America. I think it's probably a thing where he wanted to because Christianity is. Um, one of the predominant things that people really believe in in America, I think he probably wanted to do it justice were it to be included as opposed to it just being kind of yet another character. And I don't think that quite fit in. And I actually found this kind of interesting. There is the scene here where he meets... Jesus and Jesus comes across as a good guy. You know, um, if you read the Gospels and familiarize yourself a bit with the character of Jesus, he is overwhelmingly this uh, loving, accepting kind of guy. And so in the scene that's written with him, appropriately, Jesus gives him some wine. Jesus gives shadow some wine, which is, that's what Jesus does. He makes water, uh, he makes wine out of water, right? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And then there was a line here that I thought was interesting. He said, have you thought about what it means to be a god? Ask the man. That would be Jesus. He had a beard and a baseball cap. 
which is, that's how a lot of people would imagine Jesus. You know, Jesus was not, uh, he was not like a priest, you know, wearing uh, flowing robes and a bunch of fancy clothes. He was like a poor, he was a poor guy that hung out with shepherds. He was, uh, he was a carpenter. So in modern America, yeah, he would just be a dude with a beard and a baseball cap. That kind of makes sense. And Jesus says, it means you give up your mortal existence to become a meme, something that lives forever in people's minds, like the tune of a nursery rhyme. It means that everyone gets to recreate you in their minds. You barely have your own identity anymore. Instead, you're a thousand aspects of what people need you to be. And everyone wants something different from you. And that's kind of a good, that, that seems like something that Jesus might say, doesn't it? Totally, I agree with you. Okay. It sounds like it. Okay, that's the important thing that you agree with me. That's really what I'm looking for out of my wife in this review. And I also like the fact here that he says, you become a meme. And this reminded me of another book that I reviewed, which was The Revolutionary Phenotype by J.F. Gary Pay. Remember, which you bought me for my birthday, was it three long years ago? They've been such long, long years, haven't they? Haven't they, babe? And so, and so in The Revolutionary Phenotype, which is a very, very different kind of book, this was a book about the, uh, about the philosophy, okay, it was about the natural philosophy of um, genetics over billions and billions of years, and I do recommend that people check out my review of that book as well, but in this book, he, the author talks about memes. Then the author talks about how a, uh, a meme is more than just uh, funny pictures on the internet that go viral. A meme is an idea that takes on a life of itself. And the author, as a geneticist and as a philosopher, recognized that memes are life forms, that memes in the world work on the same evolutionary principles, that memes, um, they adapt, and then that memes compete with each other for scarce resources. And in the book, it is talking about genetics, and it's talking about how in genetics, you have what's called an extended phenotype, if people have read, um, oh, what was the guy? Uh, Dawkins. If people have read much of uh, Dawkins, of the selfish gene, they will have heard all about the extended phenotype, which is basically that genes are creating, they create all these things around them to perpetuate themselves. And what the revolutionary phenotype describes is it describes how the the extended phenotype that gets created will over time ultimately conquer and take control over that which originally created it to perpetuate itself. And so with religion, you see this really clearly. You see how, um, and, and, and we can, we can debate whether, um, whether man invented religion or whether it was the or or whether it was the other way around i am a christian uh we are christians but at the same time i, I recognize how um religion is a uh, adaptive thing that our genes have created as a way of perpetuating themselves as a way of as as a, as a way of sustaining us and people that are religious are in fact, the more evolutionarily adaptive people. They are the people that are doing more of what's good for their genes. They're doing more of what's gonna be good for their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. And this, and 
but we can also see how religion can cause uh, terrible suffering and wars, and religion can cause um, countries to be born and countries to die, and it can inspire vast groups of people to do tremendous and terrible things. And this is because religion is part of this extended phenotype that sometimes has a revolution where it in fact overthrows its own creators. And so I'm not sure, I, I don't think Neil Gaiman is, is quite that deep. He's, he's a good writer, but he's just not quite that deep. But that was something that I picked out out of the, uh, out of the encounter there. So moving towards our conclusion, what do you rate the book out of five stars, babe? Back then, I have rated it five stars. Okay, solid five stars from you? Yes, but now maybe I would rate it four and a half because of the missing Jesus. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right, so I think I would rate it a bit lower than you. Much lower than me. I think I think they sh he should have figured out a way to include Jesus and Christianity there in the book because it's a 500-page book about the spirituality and mythology of America. And so Christianity, that's a pretty big hole that he left there in the book. So I think I have to deduct a star from that. And then I have to deduce a star because Shadow himself is such a, a bland kind of character. He's a bland, one-dimensional, stoic, tough guy character. Yes. When, when he could have actually been interesting. He could have kind of evolved over time. And then I think I have to deduct a star because I found the... I didn't quite find the writing to be really solid. I didn't quite find the descriptions and the dialogue to be really interesting. And I know from you telling me that Neil Gaiman is actually capable of amazing, beautiful, poetic prose and descriptions of things and places that are like, that really paint the picture. And yeah, this book... Um, yeah, the, the whole book, I mean, it kind of, it feels like a book, it's a book about a guy that just got out of jail, and it kind of feels like it was written by a guy that just got out of jail. Um, it was published back in 2006. Yeah, I think, I think Neil Gaiman has actually improved some in, with the writing, with oh, his wow. writing over time, so I think I have to deduct a star for that, and I think I would end up at about two stars in my rating of the of the book. I mean, it does a decent what it does a good job at, like I said, was the characterizing of America, and then it's a cool premise, but it falls it falls short of the premise, and then the characters I did not find very dynamic. So yeah, I'm going to waver in between two and two and a half stars on this. Well, that's okay. That's how many stars I gave memoirs, memoir from Unpoke Case. That's right. Tell me about the sequel to this. Synopsize the sequel to this because I'm not going to read the sequel. No, no, no. You're not going to read the sequel, but I loved the sequel. Okay. Anansi Boys. Yes. It's called Anansi Boys. And basically, it's not exactly a sequel to American Gods because it's about Mr. Anansi, Mr. Anansi's two sons. Mr. And Anansi, he's the mischievous African god. Yes. He's a secondary character in American Gods. Yep. A very secondary character. So in this one... He's also a secondary character, and mostly his two sons are the main characters. One is his, um, oh geez, how was his name? I can't remember his name, I'll tell you. That's okay. Charlie. Charlie. Charlie Nancy. 
is his son who happens to live in London with his girlfriend. Okay. So one day he just finds out that he has a brother and he finds out that he could talk to his brother if he asked a spider to convey the message. And it happens on the next day, his brother spider, that's his name, appears, you know? Aha. Uh-huh. And then we find out that his brother has inherited all of their godly father's abilities. Right. So he's jealous. No, not really. He's super confused. And actually, his, his brother Spider ruins his life. Aha. Uh-huh. He starts ruining his life. He even, this is a spoiler alert here, he even sleeps with his fiance much ahead of Charlie himself. Oh, he steals his fiance. He seduces his fiance. Yes, even though she she told Charlie that she would only sleep with him after the wedding. Mm. You know? And they This have is a together. grievous, grievous injury. Yes. And his brother manages to get her in his bed in no time. Right. Okay. So is the book is the book better from a is it better written, better characters? Yes, I love it. It's more poetically written, to be honest. Okay. Um we learn more about the African gods and African mythology. Okay. There's plot twists that I didn't see coming. And overall I love the book. I think I even, you know, uh, laughed. Yeah, I seem to recall you giggling. So it's a case where the sequel is an improvement over the original, in fact. Actually, it's not exactly a sequel because uh, almost no character from American Gods is in this book. Aha. So, but there's a, is there a bit of continuity with the with the theme of the pagan deities living these mundane lives in modernity? Mm, not exactly. Okay, okay. So not it's not exactly, but we are told about Mr. Anansi, you know, the trickster god. We are told about his life. And does it have the vignettes? Does it have the vignettes? No. Okay, it doesn't have the vignettes. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to pass on that. Well, I will just leave it up to the Limitless Mindset audience here. And you guys and gals can let me know if you like the premise of this book, but you'd love to see like a red-pilled version of it. Because I can imagine... A, a red-pilled version of American Gods that I would write where we would uh, we would include uh, Jesus, the Christian God, who is also in decline badly in America. We'd include Satan and the devil um, that is uh, prospering in the form of what I think of being America's new religion, which is the postmodern liberal statism. I see that as being the predominant religion in America, or it is the religion that is dominating America at this point. I actually, I think that Christianity is probably still technically the most popular religion, but as far as the religion that has the most sway over the country, it is, uh, in my view, the descent into the postmodern world of irrationality, uh, the, the wokeism, to give it that trendy 
phrase. And I think that would be a lot more interesting if you created a portrayal of how people are spiritually submitting themselves to uh, prostrating themselves um, before the uh, metastasizing cancer of the state and of all of these monolithic institutions that have grown so powerful and are screwing the American people so bad as they loom above us like those giant things, those giant pods in the matrix. Remember in the matrix, they had those giant things reaching up into the sky that had all the pods of the of the sleeping human beings inside of them with their uh, with their innards being sucked out as the this ghastly machine was was feeding on all of them. I, I think something like that, that that's what I would write as a red pilled version of this. But yeah, and also there is something else that uh, Neil Gaiman has missed as a as a new god. Yes, as new god. But given the book was written back in two thousand and six, I believe that he just didn't think of it because it wasn't that popular. Sure. But now it's super popular and it's part of America's culture, John. What's that? That's porn. Porn. And that's the oh. hookup culture. Yeah. The yeah. whole hookup culture with social media and all the thirst traps. Yeah. Okay. So the hookup culture, that has existed for a long time. That's existed since at least the 1960s or the 1970s. The porn is kind of new. That's something that's kind of new. In this form and shape, yes. Even though uh, everyone remembers Playboy magazines. Yeah, but as far... But but you think about um, things that people have a cultish, religious devotion to. Porn is definitely among them. Yeah. And what I was going to add also, if you were going to redo this book, I was going to add race as one of the American gods in modernity, in modernity, in the past, I'd argue, this is what I'd argue. I'd argue that 20 years ago when he wrote this book, 20 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. That race wasn't quite such a big idea. 20 years ago, it wasn't such a, wasn't quite that big of a deal. 20 years ago, America was making like really good progress towards the uh, vision of Martin Luther King, where people would be mostly, mostly judged by the content of their character as opposed to the color of their skin. But now we're definitely regressing and it's becoming, uh, America is becoming a very, very tribal kind of place. And it's a, it's a country that's losing its, um, it's losing its its founding stock of the country, which was white European people. And we're, yeah, we're becoming more like Brazil. And so people are, you, you look at any news story about America, or not any news story, but you look at the big news stories about America, and it's um, all the insecurity and the conflict over the issue of a race. So I would, if you were going to do an update of the book, and, and do it in a politically incorrect way that those mainstream publishers would reject. Yeah, you would include porn and race as American gods. Yes. And, and then also smartphones. Yeah, smartphones. smartphones and yeah. social media, not just media, social media. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I saved you from reading the... <laughs> The gay sex scene. Oh, yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you for... <laughs> I skipped. I skipped. I skipped that part. Yeah, there was a very explicit... What? Was that chapter sections. seven? Was that chapter seven? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just uh, you get to the section where there's... I mean, the lead up to that section was actually kind of interesting. Where you've got the... You've got an... an I think an Iranian guy and a djinn. Yes. You've got a djinn. Yes. And the, that was kind of interesting. The lead up to that was, but then very interesting. It was a vignette. Yeah, but then they have a gratuitous 
a gratuitous kind of scene that a lot of people may want to skip about halfway through chapter seven. So yes, I think we've covered the book pretty well. I think we've gone a whole lot deeper than the Neil Gaiman goes, but we are biohackers. So I'm not going to hold that again. And I do not believe he is a biohacker. I wouldn't hold that against him. No, no. Well, he loves living in America, even though he's a Brit. And he's one of my favorite authors, personally. Right, right. Okay, well, that is our thoughts on this book. We will put out this book review on New Year's Day, tomorrow. So we wish everyone the best in 2022. And I'm going to have a lot of great content on the subject of uh, life hacking and biohacking and multiplying your efforts, multiplying the uh, resources that you have at your disposal so that we can all make 2022 a year where we are kind of bouncing back from the catastrophes and the all the entropy that the universe was throwing at us in the first two years of this tumultuous decade. So I'm Jonathan, looking forward to a continued conversation with you. And I'm his wife, also looking forward to a continued conversation with you. <laughs>